they said healthy people should never ever wear masks because it harbors your own bacteria. And then there was a complete reversal saying that, oh, you should and everybody should. Now there's just so much fear that nobody really knows what's going on. I guess we're just gonna dive right into it. I'm pretty fun about this. You know, you're into, you're into AI, which is pretty exciting. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm currently based in Zurich in Switzerland, so it's late afternoon over here and something like 36 degrees Celsius. Oh, so wow. I hope, I hope you're having a better weather over there. You know, it's about the same. You know, yesterday we were about, we were close to 40 degrees Celsius yesterday in Chicago, yeah. Oh my goodness, okay. Really, really hot. Nobody's talking, <laughs> I'll stop <laughs> <For> complaining. <laughs> no, no doubt. Cool. That's, uh, we're going to start in. Cool. Because I, I, I want to talk to you and I just want to get started. I feel like we could, I don't know, there's already like a connection and I feel like we could just go on forever without starting the show. It's going to be just like this. Cool. We're, we already started. Fine. We're already in all in with Rick Jordan, right? Here we are. Yes. You are Sasha Schreiber. Did I pronounce your name right? Absolutely. You are one of the few podcasters who actually pronounce it right. Really? <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I got to be honest, there's some last names that I just don't even try, you know, just because I, I, I'm pretty good, though. I, how does anybody get your name wrong? Do they say Schreber or Schreber? Well, uh, in Italy, it's Schreber. Um, in Germany and Switzerland, it's Schreiber. Um, Schreiber, actually Schreiber, because from the word uh, um, writing, Schreiben. Oh, okay. And U.S. and Canada, usually they get it right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yay, yay for U.S. and Canada. Although yeah. Switzerland, you said it's 36 degrees there right now. Yeah, it's pretty humid too. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know it gets that warm there. Well, it gets, you know, there's a very nice joke, which I like very much. When I moved to Switzerland from Canada from yeah. Vancouver years ago, uh, Swiss people actually warned me. They said, you know, we really like Swiss summer. This year it was on Tuesday. So oh this gosh. year it is on Monday. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's awesome. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. Really cool. So you're, you're into machine learning, which is kind of fun to me because I really see the world going this way and everything that we do. I mean, I, I think that a lot don't even realize, even the, in the tech industry, the machine learning has been integrated in our lives really for about the past decade, you know, in some form or fashion. And it's pretty awesome that you're in the forefront of that, which by the way, you're very beautiful too, which is fun because I mean, you're the first person I've had on the show that is directly from Switzerland and you were like textbook as far as what a, what a Swiss woman should be. The blonde hair, the blue eyes, it's fantastic. Well, my eyes are actually green, but thanks are for the really? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's I the blue wallpaper spot. behind you, the blue wall that's making it look that way. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, uh, blue is one of my favorite colors. That's true. But I have green eyes. Anyhow, I get this a lot. Also in Switzerland, there are not so many uh, technical co-founders who run startups, uh, female startups. Really? Uh, exactly. Female founders. And uh, probably also not in Canada, in Vancouver. I don't know so many. Yeah, we, we, we are a species. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You wear a purple shirt today. You didn't wear that just for me today, did you? You didn't look at my color being purple? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, no, it's not purple. It's also dark blue. Well, oh, is just, it? Oh, it's yeah. just, it looks very purplish coming across on the screen there. That's fun. So what that's, is your favorite color? Uh, it's blue. blue. It's that's, blue, exactly. So my car is blue. Everything's blue. <laughs> my nail, nail polish is blue. Is it real? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> is it <laughs> also purple? That. 
<laughs> no, those look blue. Those look very, very blue. <laughs> so I'm intrigued by that in Switzerland, you know, because you said in Canada too, you know, it's, uh, women are making more of a surgeons right now in the US as far as startup founders, which is really, really cool to me. Because I feel that a lot of times women can have a lot more drive than men, especially when it comes to these things, especially women that, that found startups, because they're, they're amazing. And they just go after things. You know, it's almost like a complete dichotomy. It's like men could kind of take it or leave it. You know, there's some pretty driven men, you know, and they're doing startups, but most of them, most men that I see don't necessarily have a passion to actually achieve what they want to achieve. Their, their passion is more for just raising the capital and building something that they can sell rather than the mission of the startup itself. So I feel that women are kind of more mission-minded. Would you think that's true? I would say, and I'm afraid I'll be sorry, but a, a bit a cliche, um, women might be a bit more notorious, that's true, and maybe more invested into what they're about to build. I love and that though. Not so much into, uh, you know, quick wins and yeah. reinvesting all their passion all their time. That's very true, yes. Um, I have to say, I'm really not about female quotas, you know. In yeah. Switzerland, there's a, there's a, um, a new uh, law uh, by the government about the quota and the board seats. I think California also passed it last year as well. I, you know, it's really not about the quotas. It's about if you are the right place at the right time and with the right yeah. team. And if you happen to be a woman, maybe you would be likely to hire other women who are as ambitious and notorious. So I would say uh, probably when when people apply to Nanos, uh, to uh, we are a machine learning company, and so yeah. we hire mainly tech talent. It's of course, uh, if I compare our hiring. Uh, you know, applicants list from two years from now and today, I would say there are many more women now. I would say maybe even 40% to 50% are women, which, of course, I'm quite happy to see and observe, which was definitely not the case, let's say, seven years ago when oh, I was yeah. hiring for, uh, for the times for my group, research group in at Disney Research at the Walt Disney Company when I was leading a tech team. Oh, really? That's uh, awesome. Yes, when I was leading a tech team and, you know, out of 50 applicants, maybe there would be one or two women, if at all. Yeah. So it's, wow. it's, there's a strong trend of, uh, of having more and more women in technical industries, in research in particular. That's really fun, you know, because I know men are typically more compartmentalized in the way that they think. And I feel that, especially when it comes to tech, because tech, even though a lot of engineer-minded people kind of see things very linearly, you know, straight line, I have to go from the start to the finish in that way. But I've never seen that there's always just really one solution in solving a tech problem. There's usually multiple possibilities. Some will get it done faster. Some will get it done, you know, in less steps or maybe a more efficient way. But whenever I've seen women tackle a tech problem, it seems like you can almost examine all the possible ways at once which is pretty impressive to me. You know, and I don't know why this is, but I, I've always hated this, right? Because it's typically a male dominated industry in tech and even in AI. And I feel that women have so much to bring to the table, even as far as structure and solving the problems. I don't, why, is it, why do you think it's taken this long? You know, because it's not like even, I, I compare it to the US, right? To where there was an issue with you know, women's suffrage and voting rights years ago. You know, I, I don't know if tech has been specifically keeping women away. I don't know about that. Maybe. I don't know. But why do you think it's taken so long for women to really jump into tech? 
I would say uh, being uh, going into tech as a decision when you're young and there are so many paths, path, different paths you could take. As a woman, particularly in Switzerland, I can speak for Switzerland because I've been here for the last eight years. It is really um, remarkable. I mean, uh, women are allowed to vote. Uh, I think it was in 1976. If I, uh, please forgive me if I'm wrong. I don't have the right number in my head, but I think it was pretty, pretty recent yeah. when women were allowed to vote. And also, it's a lot about, for instance, childcare because you know, right would on. you go and devote yourself to a tech, uh, technical career, which means uh, you know, very you have to be really dedicated in studies and it's. It's not just a couple of years, right? Yeah, so you have yeah. to really devote five to seven years, if, particularly if you want to go for PhD. And the PhD cycle is anywhere between three to six years as well. And, you know, lots of, lots of women are also uh, having pressure of having a family and sort of working on all fronts and being successful, so to say. So it's also a lot about, you know, how government steps up and whether or not if the childcare is affordable and sure. other things. So, uh, for instance, in Switzerland, it's not so easy to be uh, uh, a mom and to find part-time work because if you, uh, first of all, companies probably would not consider, you know, uh, hiring part-timers. And the second, all the money you earn, you actually have to give for the childcare. So it's a bit unfair, <laughs> I have oh, to say. Oh, I get you, yeah. But, but uh, Swiss government did, just recently, they um, uh, set up also not just maternity leave, but also paternity leave. So now, uh, new, newly made pops also can go for, a bit, I don't know how many weeks exactly, but I think between two to three months, they can also go for paternity leave and it will be That's paid by awesome. the company. That's yeah. awesome. When, when my twins were born, cool. that is really, it really cool. Takes, it really takes a lot, you know, uh, at the governmental level to, to uh, and it's a long process, takes time yeah. really to, to change, to make this shift. So there would be more, more and more people as technical co-founders like myself. That's awesome. Do you have kids? I'm assuming. Well, I'm pregnant. Oh, awesome. Way to go. Congratulations. Thank you. That's thank awesome. You. Yeah. So th that's an interesting perspective. So, I mean, you're a co-founder of a startup. How do you see that, or at least how do you, how, right now, how do you envision that integrating into your life? Because you have a lot of responsibility right now. You're building something pretty awesome. And now you have an amazing human being that's coming along to join you in life. How do you, how do you foresee yourself managing all that? Well, uh, probably to answer that question, I have to bring you an example. Uh, when I, during my corporate career, I was actually working much harder and many more hours a week compared to what I work right now uh, running a startup. It's mainly because uh, uh, when you run a startup, you, you are responsible, yes, but also you can really organize yourself and build your own logistics and build your own ecosystem and the team you trust, and which is probably a bit more difficult in, for instance, in a corporate environment, working for a large, uh, I was working a large, for one of the largest companies in the world, Walt Disney Company, and there are just so many processes and so many yeah. uh, events which you actually cannot really uh, fully uh, influence, and they just happen, and for instance, you know, there could be an email arriving uh, uh, late at night, and because we were, uh, we work a lot with LA, and time difference is nine hours. So there could be, you know, 7 p.m. email that something has to be delivered within the next 24 hours, which means you have to work through the night, more or less, wow, yep. in order to get it done and get and then uh, go through a bunch of iteration and hopefully deliver something that, that is up to expectations. And there are also so many 
you know, obstacles, so many events that could happen, which you have absolutely no control. In a startup environment, it's also highly volatile and a predictable environment. However, you still can influence a lot of things, in particular people you work with, you hire with, and so on. So it's all about uh, being able to organize yourself and also being, to, uh, being able to organize your life around you, building your own ecosystem that helps you to uh to uh to make sure things are getting done that's what's the most important that's amazing you said the swiss government just passed paternity leave too that was just recent right yes yeah yeah dudes? i think i believe it's january 1st yeah so oh so I'm just this year that recent i was interested in that <laughs> <laughs> wow wow uh, are you married not yet not yet that's fun so yeah. Your dude, right? I'm assuming you have a yeah, dude. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is he? Does he have paternity leave that's coming up for this? Is he taking any time off? Uh, I would say so. Yeah, but we have, like I said, we have a very distinct ecosystem. We we are building the process of building, so we have nice. Uh, yeah, so I don't think we would need this. Yeah. That's great. That's great. I remember when my twins were born, this was 13 years ago. You know, I was able to take off. I, I was told two weeks before. I, they were going to be born that I was going to be fired from my job. I was working in corporate America too. And that's when I st started my entrepreneurial journey. But because of a uh, family medical leave act, this was something that Bill Clinton did. President Bill Clinton back in the 1990s established that as the, you could actually use your time away for a paternity leave. In some cases, it's not guaranteed, but it's the family medical leave act. I was able to take off. I think it was seven weeks something like that, and still maintain my job and get paid right during that time. It was amazing being at home with my two newborns. You know, that, that time and bonding was just incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. It, it really was. So I'm fully behind because I was able to experience that. I'm fully behind not just maternity leave for everybody, but also paternity leave for all the men because a, a, a father is – Super important, and especially during those first couple of weeks, there's so much bonding that can happen too with your kids, especially from a dad's perspective, you know, because what is it most of the time, you know, men will, you know, they'll be with someone, they have a newborn child, and then they immediately go back to work, right? All the responsibility typically falls on the mom which is not necessarily fair in my opinion, but it's also not to the woman, but it's not even necessarily fair to the man because I don't feel that most of the world identifies the, the needs for a father in the kids' lives too. You know, we kind of get shoved to the side thinking that the mom's the most important, which the mom is super, super important. Oh my gosh. The dad being around though, being able to see your kid, I, there was no feeling like I've ever felt in my life than when I first saw my kids because they were twins, boy and a girl. And just thinking, wow, in this moment, I mean, just in the, because they were seven minutes apart in seven minutes, I'm a dad. And that just blew my mind. You know, I still, I still think back to that moment. And that first time you realize that you're a father is just incredible. And so being able to take that time off, but it's really cool too, because I got to know my wife more during that time. <laughs> you know, just, I'm sure. I believe she was quite happy to, to, yeah, have well, you yeah. <laughs> to get to know you better. Right on. I mean, it was seven weeks, you know, that's a long time you know, to, to really not have to work or do much of anything except to be with your kid or kids in my case. You know, so I'm excited for you. So what do you do? I really agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, in October. October. Awesome. Do you know the day? Uh, no, not yet. No, not yet. Okay, that's fine. Well, I know you, you know you don't know the exact day, but I don't know if they pegged the day saying it should be around. Is I'm October twenty fifth. 
That's my birthday. So I, I'm just saying, you know, if you get to October 24th, then your kid's going to be a Scorpio, which I am because I'm a 25th, uh, I'm October 25th. Scorpios were a little crazy, you know, so maybe, I don't know, maybe you want your child to be born before then or something like that. You know, just, I don't know. Just, just <laughs> be a little bit more tame. I, I don't know. I choose between Libra and Scorpio. I don't know what I choose, but uh, um, yeah. I really, just more, most important that, it, that the baby is healthy and that's it. <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm, I'm with you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about, also, yeah, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, tell me about nanos because I, I'm, I would love to know exactly what, because machine learning is this very, very broad subject, right? And I know you worked for Disney before and you were in Imagineering with Disney, correct? Exactly. That's fun. That is so much fun. Did, did you get into machine learning with them? Is that where you started? Yeah. Or Oh, cool. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, machine learning as other science was not, you know, it's not something very recent. It, it always existed. It just yeah. called differently. It was called uh, mathematical statistical models. Yep. So it's only after a year, 2015, 16, there was, uh, um, we had access to, you know, um, comp cheap computer power and, um, cloud services slowly were becoming available, which was not possible before. So before it was just models, statistical algorithms, and then all of a sudden after 2015-16, we start calling machine learning and, become, and it became a trend and it became really cool to be a machine learner. Yeah. And I remember the times 2014-15, there were absolutely no PhD students in machine learning or not even master students because just because you know, nobody knew about it, it was very fresh. And only uh, since 2016, 17, now 18, of course, it's becoming a huge trend. Uh, people also switching from other sciences, from physics, uh, from electrical engineering to machine learning, uh, and also from math and theoretical math, just because, you know, that means getting higher salaries, you know, if you work for larger corporations or uh, more possibilities, more options to be published and, and so on. So it, it's really a new thing, but it's not going away. It's not something like, it's not, a, it's not a hype like it was, for instance, with 3D or virtual augmented reality. It, it, it stays just because we have now access to data, we can, yeah. um, we can also uh, hire technical talent. So um, there's lots, lots of really cool stuff going on. That's awesome. With us at Nanos. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. We'll get into nanos, believe me, because I'm very interested. The Disney stuff, though, how, how, what did you use machine learning for with, when you were with Disney as an Imagineer? Well, in particular, uh, for instance, um, image recognition, that was one of the earliest uh, topics, uh, which was quite popular and also well-researched by now. So it, uh, I would say now things are st slowly shifting towards video. But back in the days uh, when I was still at Disney, it was the image recognition. So of course you can train technology to understand that there is a cat in the picture, if there is a dog in the picture. And I was like, wow, oh. this is so crazy. Imagine machine can tell you if it's a cat or a dog. Now, if you think of it, of course, that's easy. That's, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Google and put a picture image of a cat and it tells you it's a cat. But it was not the case before. That's awesome. So that, that was the big thing with Disney. They needed to know if a cat or a dog was in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> this was really our experiments and uh, yeah. um, 
they could get us the access to that. Yeah, talk, uh, cats and dogs. Yeah. That's funny. Now, I, I've read before, too, that Disney, the Disney World, anyways, in the Magic Kingdom, there's a bunch of feral cats that just kind of roam the park after it closes and they go around and they kill all the rodents. They actually use them intentionally. So maybe, I don't know if you're involved in that project or not, but you know, just to make sure that the cats were doing their job. But that's what I've read. I'm just saying. The, <laughs> so, how did that lead to Nanos? And what do you do? I mean, machine learning, again, is such a broad subject, you know, where's the area of, this, of specialty that Nanos dives into? Well, uh, for me, it was also a lot about the personal journey because I felt, you know, being seven years with a corporate, within a large corporate organization and I learned a lot and I was, I felt super privileged because on one side, on one hand, I was exposed and I was with, you know, I was full in uh, uh, and having uh, great insight into one of the largest entertainment companies in the world, how a large corporation is functioning. And on the other side, uh, I was uh, very close to the one of the brightest and the biggest, the most successful research communities in the world as well with Federal Institute yeah. of Technology at ETH in Switzerland. It's one of the top um, technical universities in the world. So um, I would say these seven years, I've, uh, I learned you know, how to build prototypes, how to think, uh, about research from uh, from um, from the industry perspective, and then at some point I felt you know it, everything takes really really long time in research because just because the cycle of PhD is between three to five years, right? You wow. cannot just go back to the PhD and say, hey, by the way, your topic now has changed uh, yeah. because uh, company dynamics have changed. This doesn't work. So uh, obviously, in research, we don't think in sprints, uh, you know, yeah. or even a month. It's more like in years. And uh, at some point, I felt really uh, anxious, and I felt, you know, it would be so cool to build something that would be facing real users, millions of users, sure. preferably, as quickly as possible. And iteration phases would be faster, and that could also influence a lot about uh, a lot uh, which direction the research should be going. And um, you know, it's really not trivial to build a prototype and then scale it up with technology and having, you know, real users, you and me using it, this product, sure. because, just because you want technology to make your life easier, uh, better or cheaper, right? You don't want yep. <laughs> technology uh, making your life more complicated. So that means it, technology has to be wrapped in a very simple intuitive interface in order for you to use it. So this is actually how ideas of nanos the idea of nanos uh, came together. I was talking to somebody who was in the need of uh, bringing awareness about what they do. Uh, it was a language teacher, and he was uh, looking for students. I mean, it's it's huh. it's an, an immediate need. You know, if you're a freelancer, you depend on the clients, you depend on the students, uh, uh, you depend on the class. And he was not digital native, and he was not wow. an expert prof marketing professional either. He didn't even have a website. And he was a friend of mine, and he asked me once, hey, Sasha, it would be so cool if you, uh, uh, I just printed my business card, and he gave me this stack of business cards, and he put them into my face, and he said, hey, Sasha, uh, take them, and do you mind distributing the, those business cards to all people you know? Maybe somebody one day needs, uh, you know, to study, to learn a new language, because he was, he was teaching, I think, five different languages. And I said, well, you know, <laughs> don't you have a website? That would be so much easier. You just tell me what your website is and I would just send the link around. And this was 2015. 
Sure. And he was used to classifieds, um, you know, giving a, putting it out in a newspaper and then waiting for phone calls. And uh, this was not working for him anymore. So people were not reading ads in the newspapers. So people wow. were online and he wasn't. So this was this aha moment when uh, he said, well, I don't have a website. And then I said, well, that's a problem that is really easy to solve. You know, yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. build your website and that's it. And then he said, um, okay, so we built him a website. And then one month later, he comes to me again with the same stack of business cards. And he said, look, I'm putting those on your desk uh, just in case, you know, if you know somebody. And I asked him, well, wait a minute. We built you a very cool website. I checked it and it, it looks pretty good. What, what, what's the problem? He says, yes, but nobody calls me. And he points his phone now into purpose. Nobody yeah, calls me. Yeah. And this was the second aha moment when I realized, okay, if, you know, first of all, how many uh, of those people are out there who, first of all, cannot build a website? Second, don't know how to advertise. And the third, they just don't even have time to advertise and also don't have big budgets to advertise. And then I started thinking, you know, what, what is advertisement is all about, how it's currently distributed offline, online advertisements, and what, who is currently advertising online. So I did some yeah. check because I, I was used to it at, uh, um, at my job at Disney. The way we work, we will pose a research question and try to find an answer to that question an assumption and then we would build something build the prototype to test this assumption and then we would test it with user studies and if user studies were successful we would build a demo and then if if demo looks good then we would show it to the to the product team at Walt Disney Company and if they like it then it's awesome then you find file patent and then you write the research paper and then you're good and then you get the bonus <laughs> at the end of the year that's a hell so, of a process yeah exactly but then here it was different it was this real person and he was really in the need and i and i thought wait a minute so now if i were him what would i do and uh i went to one of my interns who actually built a website for him and i said look um the website is great, thanks, but you know nobody calls him what he should yeah. be doing now. And my, my, my intern, she said, well, um, um, and she was studying online marketing at that time, online, very expensive course. I, I remember now it was 1500 US dollars and it was 10, 10 sessions. And she said, okay, um, you can, if you want to learn about advertisement, you can first of all go through this course. I'll, give, I'll share with you my contact, my um, login info, so you can have it for free. Oh boy! There's also these five books you have to read, and she points a, a huge stack of books on her desk, and it was that tall. And one, the first book I remember still now called uh, was called Google AdWords, and it was 600 pages. And <laughs> I opened it and I looked at it, you know, and uh, I read maybe 80 pages. And I got so excited, you have no idea, because I clearly saw what could be automated already with the existing yeah. technologies. And then we did, we ran some tests and it actually was really, I mean, I would not say it was easy, but uh, it was definitely possible to automate most of the things that were written there. And this is how Nano started. Oh, that's awesome. That's a, so yeah. you only, did you finish the book? Google AdWords or did you just like put 80 pages in? No, <laughs> no that's the thing. That's oh, the part of being a co-founder and CEO of a company. You don't, you don't have to read the whole thing. <laughs> 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 right, I, I got enough info. Somebody else can pick it up from here and, and go exactly. make it happen. Exactly. Well, now we have a bunch of super talented, super extremely smart students 
who could automate most of the processes related yeah, yeah. to online marketing. In particular, one I'm super proud of just recently, we conducted a user study. If, if, if you look at it, and I will try to explain it uh, really fast in really simple words, if you look at the process of the ad uh, of advertisement, it really boils down to a very simple process. Is ad creation, so you have to create the ad. You have to think what you put yeah. into the yeah. text, slogan, description, video, um, audio, or image. Then you have to place the ad. That means you have to think, okay, where do I place my ad and how much money should I invest? And yeah. the third uh, very important process is ad optimization. So you see what works, what doesn't work in terms of targeting, keywords, interest, uh, how ad looks, how ad sounds, and text, and on and on and on. There's a lot of parameters for optimization. So from all these three very important processes, the last one is actually quite already quite explored by research, by machine learning. So there are a lot of automation tools that are already even available to marketeers or still in the process to be developed. Um, in terms of the ad placement, it's also fairly simple. I mean, it's, you can definitely delegate to machine processes of uh, adapting the ad to different guidelines, to limitations posed by platforms, by yeah. Google and Facebook. They all obviously have different restrictions and limitations. But for the ad creative, it is something that is really, really, you know, scary even to touch. You know, how do you tackle ad creative? What do you put in your ad if you're not a human? You know, how machine can hallucinate what to put in your ad? How can, can it make reasonable and grammatically correct assumption that is relevant to the product you're about to advertise? So what we did at Nanos, uh, one of the very talented students we had uh, so far, he came up with the algorithm that practically takes your website, um, understands what you're about to, what you're selling. For instance, that is tea and not coffee, yep. and and then it comes up with uh, with the text that at first relevant to the website, second that is grammatically correct, and third, which is very important, that is actually likable by a human. Wow. And uh, what we did back in uh, May, we conducted a user study where we showed five sets of ads, of a web ad and ad on a website. And so website and two ads. And one ad, what our participants didn't know, was created by um, a human marketer. And another ad was created by a machine. Wow. So, and we asked them to choose the ad they like first, so likability. We asked them, uh, you know, we had asked them to assess the ads, were those ads grammatically correct? And we also asked them if, whether or not, if these ads were actually relevant to the website. So that means, you know, the ad should not be talking about coffee if it's about, if, if the ad is, should be about tea. Sure. And 80, more than 80% of uh, our user study participants picked the ad created by machine. Oh my gosh, wow. So what does how it mean? I'm, my, you're blowing my mind here with this, right? Because I, I understand AI. And I was AI, my, my, my mind was blown as much as yours. <laughs> I right bet. I, I didn't bet. hear you. I had to ask him, really? Are you sure? <laughs> he uh, said, yes, yes, yes. That's awesome. Now, AI, there's always a training period for AI, right? To where you have to, you know, it's almost like a newborn baby, right? And it, you know this, you know, I don't know if a lot of my listeners know this, but AI, there's all, you know, just out of the box, it, AI is not smart. There, there's algorithms, you know, but there's a training period where you have to feed it data and it consumes it and that's how it learns. And then from there on, then yes it'll be able to. No. Yes, yes and no. no. Okay, so, 
enlighten me. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. <correct>. Yes. <laughs> of course, it's it's a common knowledge that you need a lot of data, and data have to be also it has to be relevant data, right? It yeah. cannot be just some data. Sometimes oh yeah, if it's junk, then the AI is going to be biased towards one side. You can get dogs instead of cats, right? That's that's possible. Exactly. Or you could have an AI algorithm that likes tea instead of coffee. In your case, you know, in your example. Exactly. But there are multiple other things which uh, hacks and tactics which you could do. For instance, you could start do cold start, and then modify. As long as you get more and more data into your system, you can modify a little bit your algorithms. And this is this is very time consuming, and this is exactly what you know what is really challenging because there are lots of companies that call themselves machine learning companies. Yeah. In fact, they're software development companies. And you know, if, if you build a product that yeah. could be replicated within, you know, within three months and hundred K US dollars later, that means you're not building a technology. Why company. Not? Yeah. They're, they're like, fake AI. Exactly. Yeah. They're, exactly. They're fake and they just call themselves machine learning companies because it's the hot new thing. Exactly, because it yeah. helps to get to get access to more funding. I, I, right at least it was in the past. Now investors also become more and more smart. They're more savvy. But, yeah. Exactly, yeah. but the first one is the cold start, and the second one you could use this uh, no, a notion uh, which is called coactive learning, which means you can also have a hybrid where a uh, machine learns from a human. So uh, the combination of machine and uh, a human is actually the one that is proven to be very successful. Sure. So in your case, you know, when you had the different ads and, uh, you know, most people, 80% picked the, the one that was machine generated, was that a hybrid to where it was data that it ingested and also learned from a human at the same time? No, in that particular case, there was no human learning. It was pure really? data. Wow. Yeah. So the machine really was smarter than the humans in this case. <laughs> Not smarter, but faster. <laughs> yeah, well, faster yeah. for sure. Yeah. Just Process. Imagine if you have to come up with the ad for um, for Rick's podcast all in. You know, yep. you would take some time, but to put in your ad, you put your own money into it, right? <laughs> so <laughs> for sure, I got a whole freaking team that does that, right? And they're all humans, no machines. Yourself, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also, of course, a team would appreciate if they had already some, you know, something that to start with at least, and maybe because uh, marketing. Uh, online marketing is very experimental. So you don't know what will work. You might like some certain ad, but in fact, completely different ad would be very successful, not what you think that would be successful. Yeah. And there is no way you can predict such success. And even something, if something works for you in the past, there's no guarantee it will work for you now because, yeah. you know, because different trends, I don't know, politics, things. Current events, yeah. people change, everything. Yeah, exactly. online marketing. I mean, the same ads that worked yesterday are not going to be the same ones that work even six months from now or even six weeks from now in some cases. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, I mean, especially going into the presidential election, look how much they have to change their ways as they go through. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, so I would hate to be a campaign manager. Oh, my God. Oh, you could help them. You could sell <laughs> them Nanos. You could sell sure, Trump <laughs> and Biden nanos and let the machines go at it and war with themselves and then we'll figure out who wins. That would be fun. <laughs> Let's see which AI algorithm wins the election. That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> oh my God. But that's, that's almost kind of a real thing though, even as I'm thinking of it right now. Imagine if only one of those dudes had nanos or, or a machine learning tech like We that. could definitely simulate, simulate that, yes. That's insane. <laughs> wow, yeah. so that could totally change the face of elections. Because now all of a sudden, I mean, you would feed it, right? But then you could even have, I'm giving you like a billion dollar idea here. Idea here. I hope you realize this. I'm writing it down. Good. 
<laughs> you could have because you, you could have the hybrid, you know, to where they learn from data over the past however many years and the issues that are popping up all over media outlets and what's important to people in the polls. But then you could even have focus groups of human beings uh, on both sides, who likes who and figure out who, who likes, you know, what topics are important to them and what really matters. And then the ads for them, oh my God, they could totally just match what everybody is thinking. You got me thinking, and maybe I'm going to run in four years now. I'm going to hire you as my, can't, well, I'm going to hire Nanos. I'm going to hire the machine as my campaign manager. Sound good? Well, well, luckily, uh, come on, I need a commitment right now, please. (laughs) (laughs) In the virtual parallel world, it would work really well, but with the current governmental regulations, I don't think it's that easy. Oh, man, come on, we got to figure out a way. (laughs) <laughs> Remember we were going back talking about the difference between men and women when it comes to tech. Okay. A, du- a dude would be like, Nope, not going to work because I can't get there in a straight line, but I'm sure you could figure it out how to get around those things. So I have faith in you. <laughs> Come on, Sasha. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're a lot of fun too. That's great. I'm really pumped, you know, cause I, I'm a big Disney fan. You know, I'm actually going there in about a, a week and a half here. Cause I'm traveling. Oh, where are you going? to uh, Walt Disney World, to the, to the okay. Magic Kingdom. And I think about the, the tech systems that they have in place right now. And first, some of it because of COVID, the pandemic, right? Things are very, very different. And I thought back, I'm like, how are they going to figure this out? Because they implemented a, uh, a park reservation system to where you have to reserve your entry into a park on, on any specific day, a specific park. You know, I'm sure you probably visited Walt Disney World when you were working for them, right? I had to. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. Yeah, exactly. Also, I have to watch all the movies, yeah. Yeah, oh, they make you watch all the movies? <laughs> all what? the comic books, yeah. Imagine. <laughs> all right, Squirrel, but what was your favorite Disney movie? Okay, okay, you have to get Disney versus Pixar first. Which one? <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. Uh, well, it's definitely not frozen. I'm not so much into princesses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You'd be a lot yeah. of fun at the bar, wouldn't you be? Cause you're not there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. What is your favorite Disney movie? Oh man, you know, okay. There's even a bit on the show where I said squirrel right there. You know, that that's actually from Disney's movie up. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Yeah, mm-hmm. with the balloon house of and everything. Course, yeah. But that's yeah. the dog. That's Doug the dog, you know, or a squirrel. And he finds it. That's a bit on the show. So right now we're in a squirrel moment because my brain just goes in 87 different directions and I chase them. I chase mm-hmm. the freaking squirrels. But So, okay, we're going to get back on track. But Disney World, right? So I'm going there. We're only going there for a day because we're going to be at Universal the rest of it. But my family is meeting me in Florida because I'm traveling and speaking at, in like five different cities in a matter of a week and a half. So we're meeting down there because I'll be in Atlanta. I can just hop a a flight down. And this new park reservation system, they have to limit attendance into the parks. And I'm sure because I I read somewhere that 80% of Walt Disney World's business is actually international. It's from outside the U.S. It's not domestic, meaning the actual attendance at the parks, which blew my mind. You know, and I see tour groups there from different countries. You know, even Brazil is one of the biggest ones that travels up there, I know. But it was mind-blowing to me because now they have this park reservation system where you have to sign up ahead of time to get into the park. And it fluctuates, too. They're using machine learning to try to predict what the demand will be for any individual park on a specific day of the month. Dynamic, yes. 
It's crazy because you think this is a scenario that Walt Disney World has never been in before, you know, in the midst of a pandemic trying to open back up, but yet they're using machine learning to try to predict how to handle the crowds to still stay compliant with. But mind you, a lot of data from the past, right? And also, you know, that's the beauty of machine learning. You, uh, it doesn't matter which domain you apply your algorithms to, as long as you have data, then you know they should work. For instance, if you apply those into dynamic pricing to, yep. to, uh, to dynamically decide how much money you should charge for hotel rooms, and it could be also you know very similar process applied to to the to the booking reservation system in the park. No doubt, and it's it's it went even beyond that for me as far as blowing my mind because they are limiting. I'm an annual pass holder because I'm a Disney vacation club member. I have three different contracts with resorts there. We're a big Disney family. (laughs) We like it, right? But they are limiting annual pass holders, their attendance specifically, because Mm -hmm. the system is prioritizing those who purchased cash tickets, you know, like single day, not the pass holders, but also those who are staying on Disney property because they're trying Mm -hmm. to honor the reservations first. So whatever algorithms they're using are also having to take into account those who could potentially cancel whatever that cancellation probability is. Yeah. It's mind blowing to me. So first, from my perspective, I look at it. It's like, well, this is stupid because I only have one day out of this entire week that I can actually even get into a park. And it's just as an annual pass holder. And it's just one day into the magic kingdom. That's the only thing that's available. But then I shift over as if I bought a ticket, if I bought a ticket, I could go to any park any day, mm-hmm. you know? So at mm-hmm. first it's like, well, what the heck, you know, I'm a long time. They supporter. want you to buy the ticket. <laughs> I know they do. They want the dollars, but you figure too, that those that are staying at Disney resorts probably are not pass holders because they're prioritizing them and trying to fulfill the reservation. So it's a better, even that from a reputation perspective, they probably feel that it's less of a reputation hit to maintain the reservations that were already booked out months ago than to allow annual pass holders in or prefer those reservations that were booked months ago rather than the annual pass holders. It's mind blowing to me because I know that's exactly what they're doing. And I'm sure it wasn't necessarily a human being that made that choice completely. It was probably a combination of humans and machine learning, past data, the algorithms, everything else. It's crazy. I, I, I love the application of it. It sucks that I can only go in one day, that it won't mm-hmm. let me in any other day. I feel for you. But you yeah. also should understand the companies nowadays, you know, there's so many companies that got hit by COVID, a lot of big oh, yeah. and small. Yep. So, of course, you have to adapt. I mean, uh, some companies um, lay, do layoffs, some companies cut the salaries, some companies even shut down. I don't yeah. know. I don't remember... Uh, last time I was on a, uh, boarding a plane, before I would always pop in on a plane, you know, more often than on a bus or you know, yeah, <laughs> almost yeah. open us into the, going to getting into the car. I don't know when next time I'm going to be flying. I have no idea when I will be able to visit the US again. I had oh, a man. trip booked, uh, fully booked everything uh, March and April, uh, going to San Francisco and New York. Um, everything is canceled, of course. Um, yeah. But, you know. Yeah, I really hope one day we'll be able to go back to to all our original plans. Oh, I know. Same here. My flights just the other day, because I had a trip scheduled for Paris at the end of August, and mm-hmm. it was just the other day it was canceled. You know, I Maybe didn't have to do anything. Happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, know, I know we're still not allowed in there. You know, Americans are not allowed because, you know, the, the virus is just blowing up yes. over here and everything. But. Yeah. 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 How was that for you in in Switzerland going through all that? If you don't mind me, because I mean, you're in a different country. Of course. Um, I'm very happy to share. I mean, um, 
I would have to say Switzerland handled it really, really well. I would agree from at least what I see in the media. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, we had COVID cases definitely, and I don't think there was a shortage in bed ever in the hospitals. Hmm. Um, and uh, given the fact that we were, we were in the neighboring country with Italy, which was hit really, really hard, yeah. Yeah. but not Switzerland, surprisingly. I mean, um, the borders were still, I believe, even they were closed for some time, but then they were reopened in, in June with Italy. So, um, you know, nobody really wears masks on in the public transportation because as soon as uh, we were able to go back to our offices and uh, we yeah. were not in lockdown anymore, I believe as of early June. Uh, nobody wears masks uh, except public transportation, which by the way is dirty, dirty and disgusting anyways, especially in New York, right? No, probably it's <laughs> not dirty and disgusting in Switzerland. Everybody is taking public transportation. It's not so common to have a car. It's, it's you know, it's common to have a passport, okay. not to Disneyland, but to, uh, to all year uh, around all, all, all in okay. <laughs> public transport yeah. and, all train buses <laughs> and everything. Everybody takes public transportation in Switzerland. It just works so well. Yeah. That's intriguing to me. So outside of that, pretty much now, nobody is wearing a mask, but yet the COVID is still suppressed. Yeah, there's still, you know, a very limited number of cases. And it, um, it, it's like I said, it's slowly picking up, but really, really slow. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's the, here's a crazy thing, right? Because it, this is a big hot debate, a big public debate in the U.S. right now is mask versus no mask. Yeah, and it's even like making people angry and in some cities causing violence. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing in my opinion, right? Because I'm neither pro-mask nor am I against wearing a mask. I'm just for each individual making their own choice. Right. So now, you know, it comes down saying that you should. And there's so much misinformation in the United States. I know you're not here, but I look at a country like Switzerland uh, to who I feel, you know, I, I followed this the whole. I'm actually making a documentary right now on government overreach and it's being released. In you, a should. you should. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, been, <laughs> it's been crazy. You know, LibertyLockdown.com. We're here to promote you, but I just I'm telling you so you can go <laughs> check it out. It's going to be fun. Right. I've interviewed a lot of people nationwide. That's why I've been traveling a lot over the past two months too, is to, to film an interview. And mm -hmm. this is a hot debate right now in the United States is mask versus no mask. And I look There's at not enough, not enough evidence, whether or not if it's either way. Yeah. yeah. I would say just in case, I mean, um, some people wear masks, I would say in Switzerland also, I see sometimes people on the street wearing it just yeah. in case because they have to but because yep. they feel safer that way or more responsible for, for others around them. Of course, you know, and if you're around somebody that's at risk, it sounds like a pretty decent thing to do, right? But in general public, you know, because even prior to this in the United States, the CDC, which the CDC, whatever, you know, you can think the best or not. That's our Center for D Disease Control. I'm giving you, an, I don't know how much you read up on the structure of the United States or not. But back in February and March, they said healthy people should never, ever wear masks in the general public because it harbors your own bacteria. And you can actually cause yourself to become more infected, especially during allergy season, you know, when stuff just gets stuffed up or, you know, congested anyways. And then you, you're just breathing in your own crap, pretty much is what they said. And then there was a complete reversal saying that, oh, you should and everybody should, you know, and now it's now there's just so much fear that nobody really knows what's going on. But you look at a country like Switzerland that I've been following the whole way. I mean, all, all the way since the beginning of the year and Switzerland really, really handled everything well. You know, what do you attribute that to? I'm curious because you're, you lived in it. You're, you're in Switzerland. 
Why was it, why was it handled so well? And how did Switzerland keep the COVID cases down in your opinion? I'm throwing you on if, the spot here. If I may, I will, I will answer this question with a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Please, I like laughing. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, Swiss, um, Swiss are very well known for not being, uh, you know, for being, for their social distance in general, you know, even before COVID. So uh, it, it's usually, you know, when you, as an expat, when you move to Switzerland, it takes you months or if not, maybe even years to get invited to, fam to some family to have dinner together. So really? it's not really, exactly. And also, um, and so when, um, when I moved to uh, Switzerland, uh, I was told that the difference between Swiss and Americans are, is, uh, is uh, like uh, between coconut and avocado. So. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So the, I was also puzzled. How is that? Let me think about it. Coconut, avocado. <laughs> so in fact, the Swiss are coconuts. So they're really hard and, uh, from the outside and the soft inside. And the avocados are American, so they, they are the opposite. You know, they're very soft from the outside, but then they're hard inside. <laughs> now your imagination starts, you know, imagining. Starts it does, and I think they both have like a pit, a hard seat on the inside too. You know, yeah. that's where my mind went to. It's like, are are, we're all hard asses? I mean, what the hell? It's a <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was a common joke when I just moved to Switzerland that, you know, Americans are avocados and Swiss are coconuts. But to be uh, now back to um, avocados actually, taste better though. Don't be, uh, being serious, why uh, COVID didn't spread so fast uh, or was more con uncontrollable, uh, was handled more controllable fashion, is because of the social distance. You know, people just don't hug and kiss. You know, too much <laughs> when yeah, they eat yeah. with each other. It's, and there was another joke that uh, you know now Swiss have to um, respect social distance of two meters. Before it was five meters. You know? <laughs> before COVID. <laughs> before was, <laughs> so you're saying? That that, yeah, that's <laughs> funny. That's really funny. I mean, you are pregnant, so obviously you have some contact with other human beings. But it's <laughs> there's course, my so. joke for the day. Yes, <laughs> however bad it was, but the uh, but. It, so it's a cultural difference then is really what you're saying that, you know, there's not much. I would say so. That would be my immediate answer. It's, it's rather cultural. I have to say, uh, for instance, in, in Italy, why it spreads so fast? Because, you know, people, they, they give each other a hand and they hug and kiss when they meet yeah. and they greet each other. And uh, I mean, it's Switzerland also, but still it's a bit more reserved culturally. Yeah. Interesting. So how do you say hello? I mean, is it like from five meters away? You're just like, hey, what's up, friend that I've known for 20 years? And then that's... Exactly. Yeah, you're not your, with your face and you say, grüße. <laughs> grüße. <laughs> grüße. <laughs> yeah. And if it's more than one person you are trying to greet, then you have to say, grüße miteinander. And it's a bit wow, more, more complex. One, yeah. <laughs> they would think I'm a freak in Switzerland because I'm a hugger. Okay. <laughs> I just walk up and be like, hey. If, if you smile at the same time, that's even worse. Yeah. What? They would think you're Yeah. <laughs> that would be so hard for me. I smile all the time. Yeah, I know. I know. But that's again. You smile a lot just, though too. So how do you, how does that work for I you? I do. I do. I still smile. <laughs> I'm an Good. alien. <laughs> what kind of culture doesn't smile and doesn't hug for real i mean that, that that's interesting so you've got oh, well that. it's not Why so bad you? in switzerland but i would say it's one of the major um differentiators why probably covid didn't spread so fast yeah no kidding so then that i mean italy was a different story you know and i read you know the median age of italy that's why their death rates that got hit 
so hard. You know, it's, it's called, it has been for years, the oldest country in the world, you know, but it's, it wasn't talking about the existence of the country, you know, during COVID, they were literally talking about the median age in Italy, how there's just so many more older people that exist in Italy. And then mm-hmm. the healthcare system's a little weird there too. So you know, all these like apples to apples comparisons, that's a phrase in the US, I don't know if you know that one or not, but you know, it's, it's really different because a lot of cultures are di- and countries are just very different across the board. So you look at but Switzerland. In Germany and Switzerland, also popula- the population gets older and older. Um, I think in Switzerland also um, an average person age, I think uh, it's above 60 also, same for Germany, it's heading there. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that was the reason, yeah. Yeah. yeah, versus South but, Korea. Of course, South Korea has a has a much younger median age, and they they have a much lower death count that's there because their median age, I think, is in their low thirties or something like that. It's a younger culture there. Yeah, no. Crazy. But what yeah. I have to say in terms of the COVID and its impact uh, for the business uh, in Switzerland, what I learned uh, very quickly. Uh, I mean, um, I don't know how much you know about Swiss real estate. Uh, and you know, uh, rental space, rental situation. It's really, really expensive to rent office space in Switzerland for a startup. Huh. And uh, I remember I was looking into many uh, options, and you know, everything was really, really expensive. And the least um, uh, amount of years was uh, five years. Imagine, so you, you know, you you don't have as much runway as a startup five years, wow. and you have to subscribe for a lease which is five years long. So it was crazy. So uh, what we learned uh, through COVID times during the first two months that yeah. it, that the fact of that we as a small we still small team we're ten people uh, that we actually don't need the physical office don't need physical space in particular because also all our international sales partners they are all internationally allocated anyway so we have yeah. partners yeah. still in the US and Hong Kong and Australia uh, and in Europe so they're not in Zurich anyhow so we felt you know. Over this last two to three months, first months of the COVID, we learned how to communicate remotely. And we thought, okay, we did, you know, it's proof of concept that we actually yeah. can do, can discuss everything through Slack and through emails and through, through, through Zoom meetings or Hangouts. And it works for us. So we decided to go all virtual as a company. So this was a major milestone and, I, and for someone like me who was always against this concept, I always felt you know, physical meetings, interacting with people is so much, uh, gives you so much more and you can get there much, much faster. For sure. I have to admit it works, it works for us. That's good. That's yeah. good. I, I'm with you because I would always be one. I mean, the United States, the U.S. is quite large. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, geographically speaking, the, the square mileage is humongous. And I would always be in the same perspective that you were being like, you know what, I'm just going to fly to you. I'll be there tomorrow because I feel like we can get a lot more accomplished in person, right? Exactly. Was just taken away from us. You know, we can't go anywhere for the most part, you know, but now we're, we're stuck on Zoom, even like we are right now. And there is a lot you can accomplish on Zoom. I still prefer to be in person. I'm just saying, I prefer to be in person. Yeah. There's even like, even my handshake, right? I, I shake with my right hand, but then I'll even grab someone's arm because it's, you know, <laughs> no social distancing. I know that, whatever, you know, uh, they would hate me in Switzerland, wouldn't they? I mean, that am just, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, but that's a yeah. thing. 
<laughs> so, and I smile at the same time when I do that too. And I, what about looking someone in the eyes? Is that a thing? If I look someone in the eyes, is that bad too? No, that's fine. That's fine. Oh, good. Well, at least I got that going for me. But yeah, it's, it's like that extra embrace with the hand on the shoulder while, while I shake someone's hand to, just to say, I, I'm genuinely and sincerely caring about you in our conversation right now. It's just a thing I've always done. You know, but obviously in Switzerland, they would freak out a little bit, but that's okay. But I, that's why I like to be in person for the, these reasons. And it'll get there. It'll get there. So hopefully you can come back over here and then I can shake your hand and be like, hello. Hi, Sasha. <laughs> I don't know when it's gonna, when I can board the plane next time I'm heading to US. I really, really don't know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, same here. I don't, also know, COVID. I don't know when I could come to Europe either. Cause I mean, my, like I said, my flight was just canceled. Yeah. yeah crazy, well, crazy, crazy, so, crazy times. Where can everybody find you, you know, and, and how can you, I mean, Nanos is just, it sounds fantastic. And I'm really excited to see where you go. I want to stay in touch if that's cool, because I, I want to see where you go. You, you blew my mind today with the whole, you know, 80% of people actually preferred the ads, the marketing copy for that, that the machine produced. That's, they that's, did not know it was a machine. That's, I think that was they very didn't know, important. Yeah. They didn't know, yeah. They didn't that's, realize that's the machine. mind blowing. The ad was grammatically correct, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. And also likable. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. So where can everyone find you and follow you and what, what the journey that you're on with Nanos? I'm fairly active on social media. Uh, I'm just starting my own YouTube channel, but uh, you can Please. find me definitely on LinkedIn, uh, Sasha Schreiber, uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter. I'm also now uh, starting being more and more active on TikTok. I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody loves TikTok. No matter what you upload, it's thousands of views the first, thousands of views the first day. Yep. <laughs> Why not? Right on. That's yeah. so fun. That's cool. We'll have all that in the show notes too. But you're amazing. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for going all in with me today. Subscribe to the show so you get the new episodes when they come out. Rate and review the show if you're listening on iTunes. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. As always, you can find links and references to anything we've talked about in this episode in the show notes. And finally, share this episode with someone who you think might be able to level up their life by listening. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.